0: We're going to jump into our series on Timothy. Um, we, did, we started last week. Actually, last week did I preach on vision? This is the first week. We ain't playing around. Um, this is the first week we're going to preach on Timothy. Um, it's going to be kind of an intro message. I want you to think about themes you're going to be looking for. I want you to really think the big idea of what it means to look at this church family as your family. Not to see them as distant, but to see them close as your actual family. And we want to talk about what it means to be under the authority of God. Um, In a society where we hate authority, I can get a few amens on that. We hate authority. You can't grow and mature in your faith if you hate authority. We need to learn to lovingly submit first to God, then we can learn to submit to other godly authorities in our life. Um, The reason we entitled this sermon, Maturing with Timothy, is because Paul wrote this letter to Timothy as he was a young man. Back then, they considered a young man in their mid-30s. Timothy was most likely in his mid-30s. Um, he was a timid guy, Timothy. He was, um, Paul had to encourage him, like Timothy, don't let him despise you because you're a youth. You're called to this. We laid hands on you. This is your call, and this is what you're supposed to do. Like any young pastor who's leading a church, he had stomach problems. You see that in Timothy? That comes with it. You get stomach problems if you try to lead a church young. Because of the stress and all that stuff involved. If you're going to jump in the arena, you're going to get hit. So he's saying that Timothy is trying to encourage him in all of that stuff. And it's written to Timothy. Many people call it a pastoral epistle. That actually didn't start till I think the late 1700s. But it's not just for Timothy. Because when you're instructing someone, the whole family is affected by it. So if a father is maturing and growing... It's not only him that is growing, his family is grown with him as he matures. So I want us to mature with Timothy as Timothy's maturing, because really the church family's called to mature. And one way I feel we can identify this, you guys have a younger pastor. I'm getting older now I'm 38, but when we started, I was 34, so I was around the same age. Um, and having a younger pastor, there's some stuff you're going to have to mature with me on, that I'm growing with on. So I'm really asking you to mature with me in a way. And being at this position, we've been going for four years. What does it look to grow together as a church family? And um, really with discipleship at the forefront. So you're going to hear me using this word a lot. You know, disciple. Are you a disciple? Are you being discipled by someone? Are you discipling someone? What is discipleship? How do we do discipleship? And so we're going to use this definition that from Jeff Vanderstilt that I think Is incredibly helpful. You're going to hear it through a few of the sermons because I really want to be at the forefront of your mind. A disciple is someone who worships Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, is learning to obey Jesus, and is teaching other people to do the same. How do we do discipleship? We do discipleship life on life or person to person. You disciple people. Life in community because there can be no discipleship outside of community. Or you could say everyone in community. And life on mission to make more disciples or everyone on mission. So I really want you guys to think about that word disciple. Like how am I maturing? There's something in you that the Holy Spirit has put in you that you want to grow. I want to grow. I want to mature. I want my heart to change so my behavior grows and I become more like Jesus. And so I want us to really mature through this sermon series. We're at a place now, being four years old, that we can start thinking about Can I allow God to get in those places where I need to mature and him grow me up so I can experience the joy that comes with being obedient to Jesus and growing in grace with Jesus? So I hope you experience that joy. So um, I want you to think about three things today. Maturing and putting yourself under authority. Maturing at looking at certain themes that I'll explain to you and maturing at looking at each other as actual family, not like a distant relative, like we're actually brothers and sisters, we're actually Fathers to the father, like that's how we're looking at it, the way Jesus looked at it. So let's turn turn to First Timothy, one one. And you guys know there should be Bibles in front of you. The only thing we say you can steal in church is a Bible. If you steal a church, keep it. <laughs> steal a church, don't steal a church. If you steal a Bible, keep it. So First Timothy, one one. There's only two verses today, but I want you guys to really hear this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So right out the gate, what does Paul say? He states, I'm an apostle, and we talked about this. Why is he saying he's an apostle? Because if you say you're an apostle, that means that the words you're writing have authority. That means that they're non-negotiable. You know, I see families all the time, like the authorities are, are the parents, and they're negotiating with the kids. They're saying no to the kids, right? And the kid's like, no, you don't punish me like that. You don't say that to your parents. Your parents are the authority. But I'm walking through society, no one has any idea of the authority. I was picking up um, care of the other. See, immature people think the scriptures are negotiable. I've had people pray things about contrary to and writing comes down every guideline is for our good and our joy. See, we think authority, we don't like authority because we think it's taking joy and fun away from us. But when authority comes, it's for the good of your soul, the good of your life, and for the joy and contentment that you're searching for. So an apostle, i review this. And if you didn't watch the message online, it's our most watched message ever. Um, 4,000 people watched this message. I can't believe people took time to watch the message on apostleship. It was awesome. But if you want to really, what is an apostle, and find the ins and outs of that, look on our YouTube channel and really get that. I'm going to give a short summary here so you understand it. But to understand this is to understand authority. An apostle, an uppercase apostle, was someone who has witnessed Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus showed up to Paul on the road to Damascus, showed himself in his risen state. He was an apostle. Secondly, an uppercase apostle had to be appointed by Jesus. Paul was appointed by Jesus to the Gentiles. He had an authority that came with that. An uppercase apostle had to be able to authenticate his apostolic appointment with miraculous signs. Paul saw people healed. Paul saw miraculous signs and wonders. So he said, he's an apostle. So all that carried the authority. So the words that we read in Timothy... We need to not say, ah, I'm going to take this. They call that cafeteria Christianity, right? I like this one. Let's move this one over. Okay, culture's going that way. Give me that sandwich. No. That doesn't work, guys, if you want to mature. If you want to mature and live a life to the glory of Jesus, you can't be picking and choosing because you want all of Jesus. You want to be all in. It is vitally important that every family has an authority and places itself under that authority. When families place themselves under authority, a family thrives, a family is vibrant, and a family is God-glorifying. The reason you're going to have to hear this first is because we're going to hit some hard themes, not that your pastors are making up, but that the scriptures from God, the Holy Spirit, like Paul wrote them, they're not from Paul, they're from the Holy Spirit. As, he was, as Paul was carried along by the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words. So to... Submit yourself to scripture is to submit yourself to God. So these are some of the themes here. Because you run into it, a lot of people say, man wrote the Bible. If you believe that man wrote the Bible, then you are not putting yourself under the authority of Jesus. Because Jesus was a Bible teacher who said the Bible had authority. So listen to the themes we'll hit where you're really going to have to question, who's your authority? Are you a follower of Jesus? Is he your master? And you put yourself under his authority authority the first one there's only one gospel and one god that's what this book says because it's coming against a bunch of false gospels if you're someone that believes all roads lead to heaven you're going to have trouble with coming under the authority of god it's non-negotiable there's only one savior and there's only one god it's going to talk about um false teachers and false preachers You know how some people say, well, they're doing good. They're up there saying positive things. That's awesome. We need more positive people. Do you know what it says in Timothy? He's calling people out who are labeling themselves Christians but preaching false things. He said, that's who the false teacher, that's who the false preacher. Where everyone says, well, if you're trying to do good, good for you, go for your dreams. No, you're not preaching truth. You're preaching something contrary to the gospel. So if you're someone that believes all people get up and speak positive things... When the anti-gospel is a good thing, then you're going to have to submit yourself to the authority of God. It labels sexual immorality, including homosexuality, as sin and lawless. So if you're someone that can't distinguish between loving someone no matter what they do, which we should do as Christians, love everyone. And I believe in rights for all people. Absolutely. But you don't celebrate sin if you're someone that's not willing to bring yourself under the authority of Jesus when it comes to sexual holiness, and I'll unpack that a little bit more because cultures is really pushing on Christianity when it comes to sexual holiness. If you're someone that's not going to say, listen, I'm putting myself under the authority of Jesus. If he's saying that this is sinful, if he's saying this is lawless, then I'm still going to be a loving person, but I'm not going to celebrate sexual immorality if you're not ready for that and say, I want to be on the authority of God, then you're going to have the immaturity that comes with that. It's going to confront us on living a quiet life. That's controversial too. Everyone wants to blow a trumpet, say their name, and follow me. God says live a quiet life. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Be quiet. Don't gossip. Don't make an uproar. Stop, uproar. Stop arguing with everyone. Like He's saying live a quiet life. That's upside down to our culture now. Where everyone say, live big, live your dream, be seen. If you ain't seen you're nothing. That's contrary. Timothy's gonna call us out. I mean Paul's gonna call us out that. Now this is another one. Give instruction to how men and women should act. God's making gender distinctions. What do we want in culture? No labels. No labels. You seen that Budweiser commercial? With those two comedians that aren't really that funny? They're like, no labels for us. No lab-. They're trying to subversely put the message into you that there's no distinction between men and women. There's no distinction. You be who you want to be, not how God created you. Now, if you're not willing to put yourself under that authority, then you're going to suffer from the immaturity that comes with that. Now, this one's a tough one. I told you, this is a heavy hitter message. Now that I'm going over these in front of people, I'm realizing this is even heavier than I thought. I see people just like, you got to be kidding me. But we got to go through this together. I want us to wrestle with this. I want us to submit ourselves to it. I want us to ask questions. I want us to pray through it. Ultimately, I want us to see what God has to say about it and submit ourselves to it. Because he wants good for us. Hope, love, and want us to shine like lights in the darkness. It instructs women on how to dress modestly. Have you ever heard a message like that in culture? If a dad's like, listen, you're not going out of the house like that, what a controlling father! What a controlling, tr- she needs to be liberated. She's an independent woman. <laughs> this is just, uh, culture is totally contrary. We need to listen, we're not telling the world to do, but Jesus is telling us what to do and how to live and how to behave. And I want us to learn. I want us to mature in Timothy because some of us are wrestling through these things. It's time for us to lovingly go to the next level and grow up. It talks about qualifications and disqualifications of pastors and deacons. Like not everyone should be leading. And if me and Dave fall short in areas we're not fit to lead you. So it really puts heavy pressure on what's the character of the men who are leading you? Are they qualified for that role? I'm not talking about can they preach good. Will they do. I'm talking about Who are they when no one's watching? It's going to answer those questions. It's going to talk about how some depart from the faith. Reveal how we should be servants of God. And finally, cause to turn our back on the love of money, which is so anti-culture now, which teach you to live your life for money. So all those, when you go to maturity, you go to subjects that are going to make you uncomfortable, And you talk through them. That's how relationships mature, don't they? Immature relationships, they never talk about anything. You know when something's absolutely dysfunctional and everyone acts like nothing's going on? I call it on the moving on doctrine. Like, does everyone know everyone's messed up here? Why is no one talking about it? Mature relationships say, okay, let's talk about this, let's wrestle with this so we can go to the next level. And I pray with, with Timothy and as a church that we work through these things, we submit ourselves to Christ, and we go to the next level as disciples of Jesus. Amen? Um, because families that don't put themselves under authority come to destruction. I remember watching this video of this woman, and she had about five of her kids in the car. She got pulled over by the police. For something she did, it was legit, it was on the video, she did it. When the cop pulled her over, she didn't respect his authority at all. He was being nice, he was being cordial, he was talking to her, he said, saying, listen, he was just giving her a ticket and saying, you got to show up at court tomorrow. She said, you're not giving me that ticket. And listen, I want us to be restoration roaders. I want us to be a family that respects authority and appreciates the cops. I'm just saying that as a people. I'm not saying every cop is good out there. Not every person is good out there. But I'm saying the majority of cops are doing their job, have a family at home, putting their lives at risk, and followers of Jesus should be respecting them. Amen? And so I just that's a little side note. But she said to this, you're not giving me a ticket. You're not doing this. Blah, blah, blah. And she took off on the cop like 500 feet. Just said, see, in a minivan. She was like, nope. And the cop was almost like, he didn't even know what to do. He just, like, turned around like, what the? He pulled up again to the minivan and was like, what did you just do? She said, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. I shouldn't have done that. He said, listen, I'm going to, you can't do that. And he tried to be generous, saying, you're going to get a ticket again. She said, you're not giving me a ticket. <laughs> I, she, he's like, you can see the cop was even like, I don't even know how to approach this right now. Do you understand? I'm the authority. I'm the cop. You, I enforce the law. She said, no. He said, get out of the car. She said, oh, this poor cop was just like, I didn't get up for this. Finally, she got out of the car, and she wouldn't put the handcuffs on. What happens, her disrespect for authority ended up in her older sons got out of the car with teenagers, started attacking and pulling at the cop. Next thing you know, the cop's buddies pulled out and said, what the heck is going on? Pulled out their guns because they see the cop getting attacked. Next thing you know, the whole family jumps in the minivan. They're on a high-speed chase in a minivan with the whole family in the car. It ended with me being an odd at 1130 at night on YouTube a few years ago, like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. They were on their face. They finally pulled over the whole family, got arrested, got prosecuted. Why? Because that family didn't know how to respect authority, and it brought destruction on the whole family we need to be a f- church family in restoration world that expect, um, respects authority and sees our people flourish. Sees our people be a light in the world. See us grow in contentment, contentment and happiness and love and joy and what does it say? Hope. This whole book of Timothy should give you hope. There's a few themes that are running through the whole thing. Two of them, we're going to focus on two of those themes. One of those themes we need to mature in understanding how God writes scriptures with a purpose. It's to guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us. That the gospel is so valuable that we have to guard it and protect it with everything we are. So Paul writes to Timothy three times. In 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, he says, Oppose false teaching. Oppose false teaching. Guard this gospel you've been entrusted to. In First Timothy 1, 18 and 19, he says, engage in battle to protect the gospel. Do you think about what the gospel, I got to engage in battle to protect this gospel that is so valuable because it's the power of God unto salvation. And then in First Timothy six twenty and 21, he said, guard what has been entrusted to you. I want us to be a church family that doesn't think that they have the gospel figured out perfect. But what we do know by God's grace, we guard it with everything we are, and we don't water it down because it's the power of God onto salvation. I remember the first time I I watched my niece, Sadie Jo. Now, I'm a nervous guy by nature, so I'm always trying to protect everything. So I was both nervous and excited this baby was coming over. The crowds were cheering. Italian Kara were cheering. Sadie Jo's coming over. So I'm thinking about the good part. I'm going to give her a thousand kisses. I'm going to cuddle her. She's just here, just us. It's going to be awesome. But then I said, This is the most valuable thing my sister, I don't want to say owns because it's a kid, has. And my brother in law, I said, This is the most valuable thing to them. This is baby Sadie Joe. I was nervous. Pillows strategically placed. The whole family meeting, they're warned, you don't well on the couch with Sadie Joe. Like, I set it up because I realized I had to guard this baby with my life. Part enjoyment, part torture. End up being a great time, but I was on edge because I had to guard this baby that had been entrusted to me. And when I gave that baby back, she was whole. I was like, take this baby. Go, go. The same way with the gospel. We've got to guard it because it's the most valuable thing in all of eternity. Not on earth, in the cosmos, in all that exists. The gospel is the most valuable thing, and it's been entrusted to us. It's been entrusted to us. How am I going to love it? How am I going to live it? How am I going to share it? How am I going to let my affections be stored? How am I going to use it to see people from darkness to light? How am I going to guard this gospel that I've been given? I want us to be maturing in that, to realize what we've been given, to put joy in your heart every moment of your life. Secondly, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15, he said, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. If you're going to have a healthy and mature family, You've got to know how to function and behave and treat each other. That's part of maturity. How am I treating people? What is my role and how am I called to function? One of the most important things a family learns is how to function as a family. And when you learn that, you have a healthy family, a God-glorifying family, a vibrant family, and a joyful family. See, it lays the groundwork for how pastors or fathers of the family should act, what they should be like and what they should teach. It gives instructions on how uncles, maybe we'll call them the deacons of a family, should act and serve, how the moms, the older women, should instruct the daughters in God's house how to behave, how the young men should address older men. It tells exactly how should you speak to older men in the church. How should you address them? What should your tone be? It tells us how we should care for widows, and how the pastors should care for the people, and how the people should care for the pastors. Half the battle of maturity in a family is learning how to function. And Timothy does that beautifully. And I hope we enjoy that, and we grow in that, and we really think, like, what's a pastor supposed to do? What's a deacon supposed to do? What's a member supposed to do? How do we relate to each other? How do we behave all in God-glorifying ways? We mature when we realize that we're a family. And I want to read this to you. One of the greatest gifts of salvation is being adopted into a family of grace where everyone is commanded to love one another, forgive one another, and serve one another. See, you go into different communities and different families in your life where the main objective might not be to love one another. Is that what you think about when you have family functions? What's the main objective? It's not to eat the ribs. It's not how a meatball is going to be today. It's how am I going to love the people that I'm going to spend time with? I actually pray that. Before people gather, I say, God, help me just love people the way you want me to love them and care for them the way you want me to care for them. When you come together, every time we gather, whether it's for dinner, whether it's on Sundays, whether it's a missional community, whatever it is, our main objective is to love God and love each other and forgive each other and serve one another and be there for each other. That's a beautiful thing to be called into a family like that. We see this with Jesus. What did he say from the cross? He said to John, who was with Mary, he said, John, behold your mother Mary, and Mary, behold your son John. What was he saying? Because It's finished now. You guys are no longer just acquaintances. You're family now. You see this when he said, if you're not willing to receive rejection for your family for the sake of Christ, then you're not even worthy of the gospel when Jesus preached that. See, we've got to realize this as the people of God. What is eternal is much more valuable than that which is temporary. And if we have family that has rejected Jesus, those relationships are not eternal. Of course, in our heart, by prayer, and that's why we preached on evangelism last week, is that everyone puts in their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. But the reality is, only those who put their faith in Jesus and the Lord, whether it's our immediate family or our church family, only those who put their faith in Jesus will it be in an eternal relationship with. And that's why evangelism is so important. And that's why the blood of Jesus is thicker than any biological blood. And this is why Paul wrote to Timothy. What did he say to Timothy? You're my true child in the faith. And what blew my mind here when you looked that up in the Greek My true child in the faith, that actually means a legitimate son. He viewed Timothy as his legitimate son. When he saw Timothy, he didn't see some acquaintance, some person he was disciple. He said, this is my son. This is my family. Listen to me, my son. If you follow my words, you will prosper. And you will glorify God and you will see the gospel advance, my son. So I want to ask you. Joe Vec, do you view Joe Gore as your legitimate son? Sarah, do you view Natalie as your legitimate sister? Dave, do you view Nancy as your legitimate mother? Not a distant, not something separating in that. Do you view it that way? Dennis, do you view Rich as your legitimate brother? Those are the kind of eyes I want us to have. Not I'm going to a meeting to see some people I don't know. I'm going to a family meal to worship Jesus. This is my family. These are my people. This is who I will die for. I want you to know that's how I look at it. It's one of the pastors here. When I'm praying for you guys every week, when I'm trying to give as much time as possible to you and your lives, know that I look at you as family. I'm not looking at you as another unit on the chart. Some of the best discipleship happens when you're just being family. See, everyone wants to put, oh, 10 ways to do discipleship, and we need to think about that. But we disciple people sometimes with not even knowing it. Now, there needs to be time of teaching. There needs to be time of lessons. There needs to be time of all that. But the best discipleship happens when you're just family. So I want to share the story of the Bragolonis when I was younger. Donna's last name was Bragoloni. You don't get much more Italian than that last name. But for you guys who don't know me, I came from a dysfunctional family. I don't want to judge anyone, but things weren't functional. <laughs> um, my father was a cocaine addict, so he wasn't around. Um, my mother had me when she was pretty young. There's nothing wrong with that, but there was no one. I lived in the projects the first year of my life with 11 aunts and uncles in Cambridge, and Jefferson Park. Um, it wasn't like, there wasn't a strategic plan to start a family. It was just like, let's do this. And there was a lot of suffering that came with that. Because my mom was young, she asked Donna, who was dating my uncle at the time, um, my uncle Brian. So she started dating my uncle, and along with Donna came me. It was like a package deal. My uncle was using me. They dated for two years, and they broke up, but I stayed in the package deal. (laughs) Donna was only 18 years old. Imagine that. I would go over that house almost every weekend. And it was this, in my opinion, Donnie tell me wrong, it's kind of this old school Italian family. Remember those house dresses? Her mom would wear that house dress? Remember Italian ladies used to wear that, man? I don't know why those ever went out of fashion. I wish they came back in fashion. But I'd spend so much time in the family, and instead of having the view of the brokenness and the dysfunctionalism where I still loved my family, don't get me wrong, I started to get the view of a whole family, which really changed a lot of things and the kind of care that came with it. Um, I remember, like, do you guys remember the Creature Double Feature? Come on, some of my older brothers understand that. Every Saturday, I watched the Creature Double Feature. Donna's mom would bring me popsicles, and she'd make the toasted sandwich, you understand me, and cut it diagonal. If you don't know the secrets, you don't cut bread down the middle. You cut it diagonal. It just made it seem so much more cared for when she gave me the sandwich. I just felt so loved, and Donna loves me, and this is why I'm telling a story. Like I was her own kid. I was like her own kid, and her mother loved me like I was her grandchild. Like That kind of love changed my life, and what happened is no one sat down and said, okay, lesson number three on being a family, let's do it. Everyone functioned as a family, and I learned how a family should be loving and whole and caring for each other through those years. You know, Dawn, I, I remember I'd always get the newest movie. She'd get Electric Boogaloo 1 and 2. You don't know about breakdancing in the 80s? That's just me. She'd get me movies. she cared for me. I'd go on vacation to Hampton Beach. Hampton Beach was hot back in my day. And we'd go there for a week. And what was awesome was because I got love like I was a child, like I was part of the family, that changed my whole life, and that discipleship happened. And I pray you guys feel that in this church. I pray that when you're here, that of course we're going to teach lessons, but you feel like you're welcomed into a family that this is how we act. This is how we love. Because that's where you're going to get your most influence, by the people you spend time with. You become like, ever spend time with someone, all of a sudden you're talking like them? And you're saying, man, I've got to stop that. Why am I talking like that person? That's because you get discipled by the people who you're around. And so, this coming year, this season, I want you to really pray to God, examine your heart, and ask yourself: Am I treating this family like a second-hand family, or am I treating this family like my family? And as we do that, we will mature and make disciples. Do you know that people are drawn to family? People are drawn to family. When my family was broken, know what I wanted to be around? Functional families. My youth pastor, he had a functional family. And I love that they had dinner together. I love that everyone's happy when he came home. I love when they went out and did things. I love that kind of stuff. Everyone's drawn to family. And if we're a family of disciples, you're going to love and people are going to love being part of Restoration Road. Amen? I want you to really be looking for who God has called you to be a big brother to. I want you to be really looking for who God has called you to be a mother to. To be really looking for who God has called you to be a son to. And I want you to ask three questions in closing. Who has God been calling you to invite into your life, in this church's life, to experience the gospel and its people? Will you place yourself under authority during this 1 Timothy series? On the authority of God, when confronted with truths in Timothy, that will set you free if you submit yourself to them. Will we guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us? Will we love it, learn it, and live it? Restoration Road. Let's mature in Timothy. I'm very excited about the series. I'm more excited about us coming like Jesus as a family.